Well, today we are going to continue with our series, You Were Made to Belong. If you were with us last week, a real quick recap, we talked about the importance of relationships. We, we talked about how, how life was not meant to be lived alone, and oftentimes because we're so busy, because we are so, um, you know, we become isolated, that we end up with relationships that are shallow or that were once strong and are now shallow. And we talked about how to make relationships meaningful. Well, today we're going to take it a little bit of a step further and say, that's great once you have a, a, a meaningful relationship. But that we, I also believe, and we believe in Encounter Church, that you were not made to belong to just one relationship, but that you were actually made to belong to a community of people, people who are like-minded, people that you can walk through life together. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is, how can I belong? But you know, I think... This goes against the very fabric of who we are as Americans. I think oftentimes we are most, um, mostly taught, and when we grow up, all throughout our lives, to do things alone. That the one who is, um, the individual who, is, who, who can think for himself, the person who, who works hard and doesn't need help is the ones that we value. And so I have a, an example of this in my own life, kind of a funny story, really. When I was a teenager... I had this, this stubborn streak, and if anyone who knows me, they probably say that it wasn't just when I was a teenager, but when I was a teenager, I really, really wanted to dye my hair. I, I have, have like almost black hair. It's like jet black almost. It's actually brown. I tell anyone my hair is very, 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 very dark brown. It actually says it on my driver's license. Um, no. But when I was a teenager, I decided I wanted to change my hair color, and I wanted to make it green. So... Yes. So I, what I did was I went to a friend's house and, you know, I was talking to my family about it. My parents were like, Jared, you don't want to do this. Um, you know, I, I, my friends were like, you know, well, you probably want to like consult someone, Jared. Your hair is too dark. I don't think it's going to work for you. And, you know, if you've ever dyed your hair, how many of you in the room have dark hair and have ever tried to dye your hair? Anybody in here? Okay, just a few. Well, if you did it the way that I did, what I did is the kit comes with the dye and it also comes with the bleach. So I went to Hot Topic, the best place in the world when you're a teenager, and I went there and I picked out this green hair dye and I got in the shower and I put all of this, you know, like bleach in my hair and then I got out of the shower and then I, 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 I it's so funny, you know, get a show, you kind of comb your hair all the way back. And I ended up with this like skunk, like yellow streak in my hair. It was awful. It was terrible. I ended up with this horrible, like, you know, thing. And then people would call me the skunk because of this, just this, this horrible, like, you know, it's that color, that orangish color that comes out when you try to bleach your hair. All of this happened because I wouldn't get help. I was like, no, I can do it. I want it. I know the way that I want it. And then what's even worse is instead of going through with it and dyeing it green, I left it that color. I decided that I was going to just keep my hair that color because for some reason I thought, well, I did it, and this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to do it, and I went forward that way. And I think it's funny because this is who we are as people. We would rather go through life oftentimes feeling like, well, at least I did what I wanted to do, and don't tell me what I can't do. Kind of like this guy up here, John Locke. Anybody seen Lost? We've got John Locke from Lost. This is what John Locke was known for. John Locke, if you know the story, was in a wheelchair. And he decided that before they crashed on the island, before he was on this island, he was going to go to Australia and he was going to, uh, you know, go on what's called a walkabout, which is an extremely rigorous um, 
adventure in the, in the outback. And they told him that he can't go. He said, you cannot do this. You won't be able to do it. And John Locke's famous words, don't tell me what I can't do. And that is how we act as Americans, how we act as people. We are individuals. But I think this is also something that we do as a people. I mean, think about how our society teaches us to become like that. Some examples, for example. We have small businesses. We value small business, which is great. These aren't bad things, but it's the little guy. It's the one who did it himself. I don't need a corporation. I'm going to do it myself. Or what about the dad, the dad who's at home, who says, you know, I don't need help. I'm not going to tell my family about the struggles or my fears. I'm not going to ask help for parenting advice. Dads, you know, oftentimes want to feel like they, they don't need help right? How about moms? Moms are the same way. Don't tell me how I can raise my kids. I don't need your help, mom, or I don't need your help, friend. I will raise my kids the way that I feel best. Or maybe even with work. Sometimes at work with women, they feel like there's like a glass ceiling. It's like, I don't need your help to get where I'm going. This is my career. And I can move along because I'm worth it, not just because of someone helping me get there. Or what about young adults with your finances? You're tired of your parents telling you, don't tell me how to spend my money, or who should I date, or who I should get married to. These are all things. And it's, it might not sound like none of them are bad things. What I'm trying to say, though, is that we have this ingrained in us, that there's this idea that somehow we have to do it ourselves, that there's a, a value in doing everything ourselves and not asking for help. And even our movies and TV, we see it all the time. There's a movie called This is 40. We have Paul Rudd. If you've seen this movie, there's a picture of it on the screen here. Um, Paul Rudd is an owner of a record company in in the story here. And he and his wife are going through fights all the time. And part of it is because his character would not tell his wife or his family that they were struggling financially. There's this fear that comes over us. And guys, you understand it, or maybe even uh, women, if you, if you deal with the finances in your family instead of the, instead of the male, you know what I'm talking about. There's this, this, this pressure that comes on you when you're trying to pay your bills. And if it's not always the way that it should be, you don't just want to run to the other side of the house and be like, hey, honey, let me tell you how, how much trouble we're in financially. I'm up to the dead in my eyeballs, but I'm excited to share it with you. Like, we have this idea that, like, I'm not going to share these things. I need to, like, I can fix this. And that happened there. Another example of this that we have in, in TV is the Lone Ranger. The name of the gentleman itself is Lone Now, granted, he had Tonto with him, and I haven't seen this newest movie, but the idea of, and this is perfect, because in the Wild West, especially in the early parts of the 1900s, right now in the 1950, moving up, this is is exactly who we're talking about. John Wayne, the Lone Ranger, these guys who are known for being alone. I'm the one, I'm the man, but perhaps the greatest of them all, in my opinion, might be this next guy, Jack Bauer. Any of you guys ever seen 24? One of my favorite t-shirts. I actually have a shirt of his that says, if you woke up today, it's because Jack Bauer allowed it. I have that t-shirt. I wear it proudly. I'm so excited that, he, that they're coming back next month. Um, but Jack Bauer, if you ever watch 24, Jack Bauer is the epitome of this American loner mentality. It's how many times in the show 24 did you go along and then something's got to happen and Jack Bauer goes, you stay here, I'm going to go. And someone is like, Jack, like it would be so much easier if we went together. No. And he pulls a gun, like stay here. You know, Jack Bauer doing his thing. That's what he's known for, being a loner. Our society breeds this mentality. But the truth is, when we say to ourselves, 
that, that I would rather do it myself. And, and every one of us in this room here, I think you understand, like you wouldn't say it's black and white. Not, not one of us says, no, I would rather do everything by myself. I never want any help. Like no one would say that, but this is sort of ingrained in who we are. But we value individual achievement. Would anybody argue that in this room? That in America, we value individual achievement over group achievements. And so, but the truth is, though, is that each of our lives is a story, and we should have this on the screen, is that our individual stories are woven together with others to form meaning and purpose in life. Our individual stories, you and I, each have a story to tell, and when we actually inter, inter, interlock with each other, when we engage with each other in relationships, when we become part of community, we actually, our stories become interwoven together, and that is where meaning and value comes from, is when we live together. See, the problem is, is that in America and in our societies and our neighborhoods, we often feel like, I'm alone. We talked about that last week. And yes, we want to share our life with an individual. Like last week, the main idea was that we want to, in order to have a meaningful relationship, you have to share who you are and what you have with other people. Well, this week, we're taking it a step further and saying that your lives are not meant to be lived alone. You were meant to belong, but not to just belong in a small cluster, but to belong to a larger, something bigger than yourself, a community. Our lives, our stories, each one of our stories add meaning when we are interwoven into others. The main idea for today, it leads us right into that. It talks about this idea, and it says that when we are alone, we are defenseless, we are vulnerable, but when we are together, we are powerful. Can we say that together? Let's all of us out loud together. Let's say this together. It says, when we are alone, we are defenseless. When we are together, we are powerful. And this is, this is a, a powerful statement. It's something that you need to understand. It's that when we live life alone, when we choose to be the Lone Ranger, when we choose to be the Jack Bauer, there is often a wave of destruction behind us. Lives are destroyed because we're always doing what we want to do. We're always doing the thing that we think is best, whatever adds value to ourselves. But when you come together as a group, what you lack in individual achievement, you make up for in an ability to cause change, to affect things, to have relationships that matter, to always know that you belong, that you always have a place to fit in, a place to call home. There's always something like that in community. Well, what does, where does all this come from? You say, Jared, where does this main idea come from? And I apologize for this, this little thingy here. It keeps coming off my face. In the book of Ecclesiastes, there was, uh, a, was a book written by a king. His name was Solomon. If you've ever, if you've ever you know, heard of, of King Solomon, he was known for wisdom. King Solomon asked for wisdom when he was young, and God granted him this wisdom. And he became the wisest king to ever live. He also became the richest king to ever live. He had a kingdom that spanned an entire empire. He had kings and queens and dignitaries from other countries coming to Israel to hear his wisdom, to give him gifts. So Solomon, with all of his splendor, all of his riches, at the end of his life, after he has done everything, after he's seen everything, the whole statement of where you hear it say, everything under the sun, right? This is where it comes from. He's at the end of his life now. He spent all the money he could possibly spend. He had all the Lamborghinis he could ever want. He had all the, the you know, beach houses across the country. He had everything that he would ever want. He had 300 wives. I mean, I don't know who would want 300 wives, but he had that many. He had an amazing amount of fortune and wealth. And this is what he says in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Meaningless. 
This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. Let's pause there for a second. Does that sound familiar to anyone? This idea of, well, I don't have, you know, a lot of family time. I don't have a lot of time to do this, but man, I make a ton of money. Like people who work their tails off all day long and they, they have to, to acquire as much wealth as possible. But then it says, but then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. I mean, this is life. This is life without meaningful relationships. This is life without community. When you live it alone, it's purposeless. It is meaningless. It is vanity. It leaves us depressed. It leaves us vulnerable. And it's a lot like this hamster on the wheel that we oh so familiar recognize. This is what happens in life. We just run and run and run and run. And we feel like because we're not taking the time to actually spend things like in meaningful relationships with relationships of people who are like us, people who care about us, people who want to give us life and who will add value to our lives, if all we're doing is trying to acquire wealth and stuff and TVs and phones and movies and, and cars and, and, and just I want to go on vacation and I want to go all these things, everything that money can buy you, in the end, you'll end up like Solomon, who felt like his life was just running and running and running and running. And for what? For what? It's all so meaningless. You can't take any of it with you. So in this, this passage of Scripture that we just wrote or just read together, there was a man named Dr. Zockler who uh, wrote a commentary. And a commentary is just like a scholarly um, sort of addition to the word. It's not, it's not Scripture, but what it is is someone who studies it and then puts it into a paraphrase or another, just another explanation to kind of give further meaning. And this is what he says about that same passage. Man brings himself into sad isolation and abandonment of friends. So it's that man brings himself into it, into isolation and abandonment of friends, which is the greatest misfortune in social life. The greatest misfortune in social life is abandonment of friends and isolation. As it not only embitters, and this is why, it embitters all enjoyment of the amenities of this life. So he's admitting there are plenty of things to enjoy in life, but when you're alone, you end up enjoying none of them. But it also robs us of all protection against men of hostile intent. And that brings us to the next point, which is that when we are in a group, when we are in a community, we are powerful. We are not defenseless. Let's read on in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. It gives us a solution to our problem. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two standing back to back can conquer. And three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And what Solomon and ultimately God is saying here through the scripture is that he's trying to show us that we were made to belong with others in community. We were ultimately made to be living together with others. So why belong to community? And if you have notes with you uh, in the program, you could take out a pen and you could follow along if that's something you enjoy doing. And there are four keys to this, four, four reasons to belong in community. And the first is this, companions for the journey. I mean, that scripture was basically saying that you don't have to live life alone. Imagine taking a long journey. If you were going to say, I'm going to walk from here to California, and you were to go by yourself. 
Aside from everything else, you would be really lonely. It's going to take you a long time, and you're going to have no one to walk with, nobody to talk with, nobody to listen to. You're going to have nothing. It's going to get really boring in life. You won't have any friendship, anything to add value to your trip, companions for the journey. The second reason to belong to community is support. If you go back to that scripture, it talks about how when someone falls, they will help you. If you're alone, they will help you succeed. If any time something happens, you will be with someone. You will not be alone. Being part of a community means that you have the ability to have support when it's needed. It doesn't mean that they're always there, like constantly bugging you. What it does mean is when you need it, they are there for you. Support is found in community. Another reason to belong to community is protection. I mean, it says that if you're attacked, this is where the vulnerable part is, right? The main idea of today says alone you are defenseless. Even if you have your eyes wide open at all times, you can't protect yourself from behind. There is always going to be some part of you that is vulnerable unless you are surrounded by people who care about you. And so while you're walking on this journey of life together, and particularly this journey of faith, there are going to be attacks. There are going to be things that happen. And as you move forward, you have friends and people who believe what you believe and who will support you and love you, and they will protect you. And you can fight. You can conquer. And the last is purpose. Purpose. The thing about community, and the thing that sets, I think, the, the church apart the church family apart from any other type of community is the purpose that we have. I think of, when I think about purpose, I think about the Lord of the Rings. We have some images on the screen here as well. If you ever saw the very first Lord of the Rings, it's called the Fellowship of the Ring. And there were nine individuals who needed to travel together. And their purpose was what? It was to take the ring and take it to Mordor and destroy it. But they realized that Frodo, we have another picture here with Frodo and Sam, we realized that Frodo was not able to do this alone. Frodo had ill skills to be able to fight off the orcs or the urukai or whatever was coming his way. He probably didn't even know how to like survive inside, you know, in a forest at night. So he had to have people to go with him. So they sent along this, this tribe of individuals from many different places, many different people. And that's the thing I think is so beautiful about it. And this is not a sermon about the Lord of the Rings, but it's got a great... It's got a great analogy for life. Is that not everyone has to look the same as you. Not everybody has to believe exactly the same things that you do believe. Not everyone has to come from the same home as you or have the same status as you. I mean, if you think about the Fellowship of the Ring, there were hobbits who lived basically in, like, Ireland. There were people who, there were kings, there were uh, princes, like, that was Boromir and some of those individuals. There was a dwarf. There were people who, like, who were kicked out of their kingdoms, who were practically homeless, there were, there were elves who were sort of like the, the snooty individuals. There was a whole variety of people who went along for a singular purpose. And that is the beauty of community, is that you can have meaningful relationships that are united by purpose and that take you somewhere. And that's exactly what happened in the Lord of the Rings. And that's exactly what God wants for us. He wants you to belong, but not just to belong to something that doesn't matter, but to belong to something that will give you value and meaning and purpose in life. So there are some types of communities the first is kind of an easy one. This is a local community. A local community is simply put. It's like if you live in Lawrenceville, I can name off some things. There's a community garden that's here. There's Lawrenceville United, which is a great organization that puts on a lot of events, and we partner with them to do a lot of our outreaches. There are, there's the Bernard Dog Run. There are, um, there's programs that meet in the school. There's all sorts of community groups that are locally based 
that add value to a community, and we value those. At Encounter Church, we want to connect with values with those organizations in the community so that people can know that God loves them. That's one of the ways that we want to connect with them is to be a part of our community so that we can show them that we are valued to them, that, they, that we value them, and that we want to add value to it. But that's just the first level, and that's where most people stop. Most people stop on the local community level. They say, well, I feel great. I'm a part of a, a group of people that add value here or there. But to take it to another level, there's the church community. The church community, this is a place of belonging. We want to encounter a church, and all churches ultimately should be this way, is a place to belong, a place to, to serve other people. We call it the dream team. We heard on our EC Connect that the dream team, there are opportunities to serve. And it's not just saying, oh, we have a need, we need you to fill this spot. When we say, would you serve with us on the dream team, why? It's because God created each of you, each of us, to have something that we can become a part of and, and, and that we're good at to help other people hear this truth that you have heard and that you've accepted possibly in your life. Becoming a part of the church community gives us the ability to add justice to our community. It gives us the ability to, to show people that, that there is more to life than just making money or building dog parks. Like there is more to life than that. But even greater than the church, encounter church or a local church, there is what's called the kingdom. The kingdom of God. And this is, this is an outward focused community. This is, this is a community of people who all believe the same thing, that we are always searching for other people. There are hurting people. There are broken people. There are lost people, people who need Jesus, people who don't know how to live life alone. And they shouldn't live life alone. And the kingdom of God is all about bringing them together. It's all about, like, churches connected. It's all part of the ultimate kingdom of God. We need to belong to that kingdom. And why? What is the purpose of it? Philippians 2, 1, 2 says this. This is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. It's a city in, in Greece area. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? He's talking about the benefits that come from community. He says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. He's talking about the purpose of the church, the purpose of the kingdom of God, the community of believers who love each other and love God. And what is it? This is exactly what Jesus said, and I just mentioned it. Jesus said, love God with everything you are, everything you've got, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's our purpose. That's the purpose of the church. That's the purpose of the kingdom of God is to love each other. But the key to that is this, Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests, but take an interest in others too. See, this is what, the, this is what makes the difference of the community of followers of Jesus different than any other community, is that we think about others first. We put other people's interests before our own interests. And you might say, well, geez, that doesn't sound very appealing or very exciting, but you find meaning and value in life. It's this interesting mystery of the gospel of Jesus that is, that is if I give up my life, I truly find it. And that is the reality. When you come into the family of God, when you belong to a community that is bigger than yourself for the purpose of other people knowing how to connect with their creator, the God who loves them, Jesus, the son of God who came and willingly gave his life for you and for me. If we give ourselves to that mission, we find value. We find meaning. We find love. We find acceptance. We find belonging. What would it look like? 
What would it look like? Well, I can tell you what it's like in my life. Again, when I was a teenager, I've got a lot of stories from when I was a teenager because I was messed up. And I mean, I, I think I mentioned it, it was, probably wasn't last week, but uh, I used to be the guy who wore all black, the trench coat and the spikes. Again, I told you I shopped at Hot Topic and, <laughs> and I had all of that. And I was an outcast. I was totally alone. I was an outcast. And there was a group of there was a group of people, I don't know if you've ever heard of an organization called Young Life. Young Life saved my life. And what it was is there was just a group of people who met in high school, and they had some leaders and people, and all they did was just love people. And they kept inviting me to come to this midweek thing called club. It's not a club. It was just like you go to somebody's house, and you sing a couple songs, you play funny, like crazy, wacky games, and then you just hang out. They talk about God, like very briefly, and then you go and eat together, like McDonald's or Taco Bell or something. I, I, I didn't want to go for a very long time. I was like, I, mean, I was raised in church. My dad is a pastor. I didn't want to go. I was like, I know what this is all about. But I'll tell you something. They kept asking me. They're like, no, you'd love it. Don't worry. Like, people, like, you'll have the most fun. Well, finally, one day, I decided to go. And here I am walking up, and I, I intentionally, I don't know if you've ever been this way, like if you are afraid that you're, like if you're afraid, you don't fit in, you do everything you can almost to make it obvious that you don't want to be talked to. So I walked up, I mean, I'm wearing my sunglasses, I had my trench coat on, I had the spikes, I made sure I had my chains hanging all over the place. I mean, I walked up looking like I was the last person you'd ever want to invite to this place. And I sat outside, I'm smoking a cigarette, you know, this is when I was a teenager and dumb. And I'm sitting there, and I mean, I just was trying to look as tough as I possibly could. I was trying to mimic those, like, posters of, like, rock bands that are sitting like this, you know. That was me. I was trying to do this. And, and this person who invited me walks outside and goes, hey, Jared, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, great. You know, and I walk inside, and I tell you guys, not once did anybody mention, like, my appearance. No one looked at me differently. Nobody, you know, sneered at me. Nobody said anything about me, and that was a rarity because I'd walk down the halls of high school, and I couldn't walk down the hall without somebody saying, whispering something or making fun of something or calling me some name or whatever. And this was the first place that I went to where people actually loved me, where people actually cared about me and didn't care what I brought with me or who I was trying to pretend to be. They just cared about me as a person. So I went back the next week, and I went back the next week, and I went back the next week, and I will tell you that the one thing that helped the message of Jesus, the love of Jesus get into my life was the fact that his people loved me. His people, the people, I didn't even know that they were, half the people I didn't even know they were Christians, and that's a story for another time, but the fact that they loved me when it counted, it had mattered that is what is available. And I became a part of the family, and God began to work in my heart, and he began to change the hurts and heal the wounds that had been in my heart that had caused me to want to run away and to put on all this black stuff and, and to become this person who is an outcast. In a way, being an outcast was actually a shield against the pain that was already in my own heart. But I had an opportunity. God chose to call me out of a crowd and bring me to a place where I was just loved, by people. And then because I was loved by people for who I was, my ears finally opened up and I heard that there was a God who loved me no matter what I had done. And that is the whole point of what we do here at this church. It's not for me who's already a Christian. It's for the person who is hurting, the person who's broken, who's saying, I don't have a family. I don't have, you know, a community of people that I can live life with. My life sucks. It's miserable. It's horrible. And not even that, but just every one of us is screaming inside to belong to something. And I believe that we are all just crying out to belong to something greater. And it's, it's the God that created us. He loves us. 
And you could have the same thing too. You have the same ability to be a part of this family, to belong. You were made to belong to the family of God, to have a relationship with the creator. But what would that look like? What would that look like if we all got this idea? We would have a place. We would have a place to belong and call home. We would be growing. We would grow. Because it's addictive. It's so, it's so like alluring. When you have a place to belong, I told everybody about it. You should come to Young Life with me. You should come. It's awesome. We have a lot of fun. It's the same thing about church. It's the same thing about this family. If you love what's happening here, bring your friends. Invite your coworkers. Bring them. We will grow because people will find life here. But there's also unified purpose. There's goals. We're a community that believes that we want to add value to our community and show people God's love and those goals, ultimately, because we're together, it consolidates power. There is only so much that I can do as an individual. But when you are together, when we are a team, there is such power. Back to our main idea. When we are alone, we are defenseless. But when we are together, we are powerful. We have the ability to affect change in our world and our communities. We can be a beacon of hope in our community. We could build drug rehab homes all over the city. We could build human trafficking safe houses all over the city. We could do things together. Our crime rates would decrease. I actually heard a story about this. I told it before. There's a dream center in Los Angeles, right in the middle of the ghetto. And they built this place where prostitutes could come and drug addicts could come. And they share with them God's love. They get them off the streets. They get them off their addictions. They show them God's love. And the crime rates have dramatically dropped in that community. And that is what's possible in Lawrenceville, in the east side of Pittsburgh, and the rest of Pittsburgh. That's what's possible if we unite together under this. As people come to know the love that God has for them, they're going to stop their self-destructive ways. We have that ability. Families would be restored, all because we belong to a community for a unified purpose. Alone, we are defenseless, but together, we are powerful. Would you belong to a community of people who have the purpose of God's love Finding a place where you belong, where it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your social, socioeconomic background is. It doesn't even matter what faith you have. Right now, all that matters is that we love you, that we're here for you. And this is a place, and we will let God work in your heart. It's not my job to get people to want to be saved. My job is to just share God's love and the truth from God's scriptures, from his word that he speaks to us, and allow God's Spirit to work in your heart. That's it. And we want to become part of this kingdom. It's, it's a family, a large family, an empire of love. That's what's available for you. It's what's available for me. Would you close your eyes together? Let's just pray together. Two questions for you. What is God saying to you right now? What is God saying to you right now? And if you're new to this, you'd be like, well, how do I know if God is speaking to me? How do I know what's happening? It feels a lot of different ways. If it's like a sort of a tugging or a pulling in your heart, or it's like a, a feeling, an intense sort of like, you know, um, like emotion. Sometimes there are words that'll pop in your head. If your eyes are closed, you'll, sometimes there's like a vision or an image. And it, it works differently for everybody, but 
God is speaking in your heart, tugging on you today. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if at some point in your life you said, I, I want to follow Jesus, I want this to belong to the family of God, then the question I have for you is, is what are you gonna do about it? God is speaking in your heart. Maybe he's saying to you, I need to put more effort or devotion into, into this, this community, this family. I need to stop trying to do everything myself. I need to, to put effort into the family that God has given me, the relationships that I have to make a change in your life, to put greater effort into the relationships that God has given you, to become part of this mission, this purposeful community. But maybe if you have never taken that step and you say, I, I like what you're saying. I, I want to be a part of that. I, I feel like that, Jared. I, I have been that guy, maybe not dressed like you, but I, was, I feel like that a lot in my heart. I feel alone, I feel broken, I feel like an outcast, or I don't feel like I fit in. I don't feel like I have a community, but I want that. I want to belong. I want to be a part of something that's greater than myself. I feel this love. I see, I can feel the love that God has for me just by hearing your words. The next step for you, when I would say, what's the question, what are you gonna do about it? The question for you is, that answer should be something along the lines of, I'm gonna take the next step and decide to give my life to Jesus. And that sounds huge, it sounds large, it sounds big, like I don't know what that means. All it entails is just a step forward and saying, I will give my life to Jesus and I'm gonna walk it out the rest of my life. I'm just gonna try it. It's a leap of faith. And I wanna give you an opportunity. If you feel like God has been tugging on your heart and you say, that was question number one. What is God doing? What is he saying? If he's saying, I want to know you, I love you and I want to have a relationship with you. Jesus came to earth to die on a cross, to cover our sin, to give us a clean slate. And all we have to do is accept that forgiveness and walk forward with him. I'm gonna to count to three. And if that's you today, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand and someone's gonna come down and give you a, a, a quick little book in a moment just to help you move forward with that. But I'm gonna to count to three. Just search your heart. If God is pulling you to him, then just raise your hand. One, two, three. If any of you feels like God has been putting it on your heart to, to come to know him, to begin a relationship with Jesus, just raise your hand. All right, let's all pray together. We could all just stand up and tilt your head toward heaven and, and just as we pray together, if everyone would just pray together out loud for those of us who raised their hands or for those of us who uh, maybe if you didn't raise your hand but you want to still take this step, it's not too late. We're gonna say it together and there's nothing special in these words. It's just, it's just the meaning behind them. So let's just pray together. Jesus, I welcome you into my life. Make me a part of your family. Give me relationships in this community and help me to walk forward in you. Forgive me of all I've done wrong and help me to walk forward and never make those mistakes again. In the name of Jesus, amen.